Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the apocalypse, for episode number 64, Night of a Comet. I am the apocalypse nerd, and for the moment, you do not see Adam Bomb Glancy. Uh, this intro is a little bit different than previous ones, because I've kind of had to re-edit this one, even though the one's been out there for a while. Uh, Scott was in town uh, previously. Uh, when we recorded this back in May, and we recorded on my computer, and we had a problem, and the mic was out until minute th- three and twenty-four seconds. So three minutes and twenty-four seconds into the vi- into the video, we had no sound. So I posted that on the YouTube channel, and I made made a note. So there's like uh, this the video with no sound, and I thought it was kind of dumb. So I'm coming back several months, six months later. And I've done a little re-editing just to do this little introduction. So, and I'll be dropping that in there. So, um, you're going to abruptly hear, after I finish talking, just me and Scott talking. Okay? You you see us on the video just talking. And if you're listening to the audio version of this, it's just going to drop right into the episode three minutes and 24 seconds in. So... Uh, that's all I wanted to say, folks, to give you a little bit of a heads up, and I also wanted to reduce the uh, dead air on the video uh, on the YouTube channel, and I have to repost it, and you, will, you won't know that I repost it until you see this, and if you're listening to the audio, I didn't want you to have all that dead space. So, anyway, uh, that's it, folks. Uh, we're going to be jumping into the show right now, and again, it's going to be jumping in, in progress, at 3 minutes and 24 seconds. Thank you. Hope you enjoy. So, um, what really attracts me about it is that I saw that besides having, you know, player versus player, uh, team play, and solo play. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of solos out there walking the wastes. And this way they get to play the game and do not have to match schedules and match uh, babysitting times and get the wife and kids out of the house. They can just, boom, throw down with the mutants right there. That's, that's very cool. Yep. Oh, you're picking. You're picking me up. Oh, okay. Is it picking me up? Yeah. I think I think I was a little too far. But um, we're experimenting with a mic with the two people. Yeah, I've so. never done this before, so good luck. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping it's well. It sounded good when I did it uh, myself uh, when we did the uh, you know cross continent. So um, I just don't know how it sounds. I probably should have recorded us you know beforehand. I should have tested it just on the computer to record to see how does it sound. Like, like many apocalypses, this comes from not testing at first. You're yes. Going. Straight to the, you know, straight to the uh, deployment phase. Once again, we have failed to close our vents. Yes, but that's that's how we operate here at Ground Zero. It's yeah. just it's just uh, you know, flying by the seat of your vents, head first, just drive forward. So, uh, so it's what's it, it's Fallout. What's what's the damn thing called? It's called Fallout. I've forgotten already. Um, Wasteland. Wasteland Warfare. So again, it looks pretty exciting. Uh, also, uh, I'm trying to think of what else I got in the news. I, oh, you see, you'll guys see I posted uh, a book that uh, one of our friends of the apocalypse turned me on to, which was um, ah, Stephen Smith, uh, Guns Along the Wabash. What, Wabash? Wabash. Wabash River. Wabash River, which is in, I uh, looked, it's in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So, um, book was written by T.J. McFadden, who apparently worked on, I think it was Bullets and, uh, Bullets and Bluegrass, which was a Murrow Project uh, adventure. So apparently this guy uh, wrote a book, which is basically 
just crib and Mario Project. It is. I, I read like the sample. It is total Mario Project. The Prometheus Project. Prometheus Project, but the Mario Project. Yeah. So, um, and it's ninety nine cents on Kindle. So it's uh, something worth checking out. And then I also posted about uh, there's a Kickstarter called Maximum Apocalypse. It's a card and tile game, which again has solo and uh, multiplayer game. I think it's like cards and your characters, and you have tiles and you're moving around and uh, you know having encounters against. It has solo play and it has like you know nuclear uh, alien zombie and having a whole bunch of other apocalypse. It looks, it looks like it could be an interesting Kickstarter. So they're very active in it. So. So that was uh, just the things that I've seen recently uh, for the apocalypse. So, did you have you seen anything of late? No, I was uh, I was struck star-eyed by Wasteland Warfare. Um, if they start showing me any uh, Enclave miniatures available uh, as part of that, I'm going to end up living in a cardboard box surrounded by Enclave miniatures. So well, that's going to work out. Well, at least you'll have good company. I will. So. I will be have a well-protected box. Well, my well, army of power armor. Well, they did show the guy, the guy in power armor. Now, what I was reading, I seen, I was following some stuff on some of the threads. Like, I don't know if it was on the, on the Kickstarter or it was on their, on their uh, page. It had, because um, people are asking about, are they going to be, are you going to have to assemble them at all, or are you going to have to paint the, you know, is, uh, is there going to be assembly? And from what I read, that they said, like, I think with the first wave that come, is going to come out. They're going to be molded, and you're not really going to have any assembly for the most part. They said there may be a couple that have might have some minor. Well, it depends how they're doing their. their now these are resin or plastic miniatures. These are not resin. Metal. Resin. I think I think they're plastic. Uh, but they're not metal. So no, no, no. that means a different kind of mold, which means that there's going to be less assembly because um, uh, that plastic is going to be a little bit softer. A lot of metal stuff has to be has to be assembled because that's just the way the metal will not put up with a really complicated yeah. mold. Um, so and who knows if they're 3D printing them, you know, then they they can make very complicated poses and very complicated miniatures. Yeah, well I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna be injected mold. I don't but I I think they said they were um, resin or plastic. I can't remember what they said but they they've been talking about it on, on their on their Facebook page. Yeah. So I think it says for the most they said the most part uh, again they're going to be uh, one solid piece, some minor. Um, oh, they never show that. I just want to point out this is a Nuka Cola bottle top opener. That's that's sitting on the uh, filing cabinet. In the magnetically office. attached to the filing cabinet. Well, you never know when you need to pop pop open a, um, a Nuka Cola. A refreshing, refreshing, mm. a refreshing Nuka Cola Quantum. You know, because you need that extra energy. You know, <laughs> filled with extra energy and radium. That's it's good for you. It is. So, uh, so that's good that it's. But they said it said it might be minor assembly, probably just like you know maybe some if it's more complicated. But the, the less assembly, the better. But uh, again, it's moving forward. I I think it's not. I'm hoping that they're going to have some stuff at Gen Con to show us because they're there. If they want to sprinkle awesome. that stuff around, it, it would be good for them to sprinkle that stuff around uh, just to just to seed the audience a little bit. You know, yeah. if they can't show the entire game. That's a good plan. Uh, well, I was hoping that they would have it at Gen Con so I could bring it home with me, but it's probably also better that it doesn't because then it's like, okay, here's all my Gen Con money. It's gone. It's gone, McCready. So, uh, yes, that's exciting. I just keep on waiting to see more. You know, I yeah. want to I want to see that. So. They have an enormous quantity of uh, – oh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, 
they've got so many characters that they've digitally created during the game, and I, the games plural, that they just have no end of, of miniature characters that they could crack out. I mean, they you know the thing shows about a dozen or so uh, individual uh, uh, sculpts, but good lord, that's a line that had to have literally hundreds of sculpts, much like 40k. Oh yeah, right now they're showing, um, you know, an enclave soldier. There looks like it looks like just some other. Uh, I would call soldier. that a Brotherhood of Steel paladin. Brotherhood of Steel, Turrent, um, the Enclave Ibot, the Ibot, a Nuka Cole machine, the Death Claw, a couple of mutants, mutant dog. They're showing dog meat and a vault dweller, and um, yeah. yeah. And apparently, there's going to be other terrain things that are going to come out. So who knows? I mean, it looks it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah well then I'll have to add that to the pile of other miniatures I haven't quite gotten around to painting yet but uh, well I'm, I'm I'm glad that doesn't you know they're gonna put me up that doesn't need paintings I don't paint I just want to play and a lot of people you know like oh it's gonna be able to be painted it's like I don't have the time energy or skill to do that mainly the skill wait and the time wait and the energy so all three of them I think are like number one <laughs> so um you know I, I think I, I think I might be able to, I don't even know if I have I might be able to crack out some uh Old miniatures that I tried painting, you know, back when I was like fourteen, you know, with the one of the one of those D and D, you know, Grenadier box sets. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Like I think I had like I think I had like the the very one of the very first ones I put out was like the adventure party. It had like the wizard on the front with his hand up, and he had like the the little thing, you know, the little like charms oh, in his yeah. hand. You I know? remember that. You got about you got about twenty miniatures uh, in there, maybe uh, four rows of five. Yeah, maybe 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 that maybe fifteen, something like that. And oh, um, didn't it come with paint too? Because it was kind of like a starter kit, I think. I remember it being having the styrofoam cut out. I do not remember the paint. I know there was no paint with the Call of Cthulhu miniatures from Rafam. Not Rafam, is that right? Raul Partha. Raul Partha. Those were Raul Partha miniatures, like that fellow over there. Um, oh, that's this was a grenadier. Oh, you're right. It was grenadier. The uh, the Demigorgon, because the people, the Italian company that bought all the grenadier molds, the original molds, from the 70s and 80s, they've been holding on to them. When Stranger Things came out, they said, hey, maybe we should start producing this one because it'll be popular. And they did, but they missed the boat. They didn't print them in enough quantities, only available through like their Italian website. Some people bought them, I guess maybe, they didn't distribute it retail very well, so. Well, was there an English version of the website or did you have to navigate in Italian? It was all Italian, but then I, then I, but then I found people like who were selling them on eBay <laughs> for reasonable prices, because I figured, hey, this is what they're selling it for, here's a conversion rate. Okay, there's there just maybe a buck or two more that I have to deal with uh, conversion rate. I just bought it off of eBay because I bought one for myself and our. Uh, we have a young cousin. Well, my it's my wife's cousin. You know, he's like a, he turned he turned eleven last uh, last month. Mm -hmm. Eleven, get it? And um, <laughs> so for his birthday, I got him. You know, because he liked Stranger Things. I got him also a. Uh, did he? I got him a. Did he connect to Stranger Things at age eleven? He liked it. All right. You liked I, it, so I got on the damn guard. I image of like an eleven year going. Why don't they just get on their cell phones? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> no, he thought he thought it was cool, uh, so I got him that. I got him the miniature and I explained, I you know, because he likes new you know, learning things. So I explained to him like what Grenadier was and why the miniature and stuff like that. So I'm also going to try to maybe when, nah, maybe not this summer, maybe next summer when he's a little bit older. I'm going to try to see if I could uh, maybe see if he gets you know maybe a couple of his friends see if I could. Uh, uh, Dungeon run, Master some D and D. Run the Red Box. Run the original Red Box. I don't have mine anymore, but uh, I could get a copy of it. You know, 
yeah, definitely the basics is a good way to start them off. Yeah. I'm sure people are like, well, that's just too fifth edition. It's like, because it's way too fucking complicated <laughs> for a fucking 11 year old I nowadays. Didn't, I didn't you know? start on fifth edition. I started on the original red box and worked my way up. I started with the basic, okay? And uh, I'm, I turned out just fine. So, not of the comment. So, that, 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 the comment. that's all our news. So, okay, 1984. 1984, the year I graduated from high school. Let's see the, uh, oh yeah, that was a little bit later than that. Let's see what's on the box here. It says, they came, they shopped, they saved the world. I don't remember that being the original tagline. No, I think, that, I think they may have added that. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I saw that in the theaters when it came out. So did I. And was absolutely thrilled with it uh, at the time. And it, uh, after viewing it 35 years later, uh, it held up uh, to me. It held up really well. It's a great B movie. Yep, it definitely still holds up. It's uh, the, the premise of it is there's this comet that is returning, passing by Earth. You know, because it was actually it was three years before Halley's comet. Oh yeah, that was one of the deals is that they were taking oh, no, advantage no. of. No, two years. Oh, good. No, comet Halley's comet was eighty six, right? I think so. It wasn't eighty six. Was it 87? No, no, it was 86. If only we had devices for which we could check these facts. It was it was 86. Keep going, keep going, though. So it was 1986, uh, so it was two years before that. So they, you know, that was coming up, so it was very topical. So the premise is this comet, which they never know existed before, is coming by the Earth. And it came, last time it came by Earth was 65 million years ago when... Supposedly the dinosaurs had a great extinction. Hmm. Mm. What are they setting up there? So uh, the premise is this comet is coming by. So start, you know, and uh, oh, oh, just, uh, you know. Okay, so for the movie from 1984, guys, spoiler alert. So if you haven't yeah. seen the movie, uh, we're going to, again, we're not going to reveal everything, but we're going to talk a lot about it. Oh, yeah. You're hear about what we liked. Uh, and uh, it, what we'd like you to do is go rent it or watch it on Netflix or something. Just... Go go go! Watch it. It should be in your canon of apocalyptic films. Well, yeah, if well, if you claim to be a true friend of the apocalypse, you know this yes. is this is one of those movies along with Cyborg, with John von Jean Claude Van Damme. But uh, hey, that's a guilty pleasure. I like that movie. But um, I suppose this one is too. But um, uh, yeah, I yeah, I think this one's less of a guilty pleasure because it's got a couple of really cool things about it. So. So the comet's coming. Everybody's celebrating. It's in. It's right around the holidays. It starts off, you know. Our it's a little triffity at the beginning. Everyone's happy about the comet that's coming, so everyone wants to run outside and see it. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I, the I, I, same thing. The, the there's the, the triffids had the same shtick. Run outside and see the doom. <laughs> and boy, did everybody see it. Well, they didn't go blind or anything, but uh, the two main protagonists in this film are two high school aged. Um, Girls, so uh, which I think were probably a lot. I think the Belmont sisters, Belmont, Regina and Samantha, I think, played, played by the awesome uh, Catherine Mary Stewart, who those of you might remember her bouncing around in the eighties and things like Last Starfighter. Yeah, that's what everyone remembers her in. And uh, Kelly Maroney plays the younger sister, uh, Samantha. Didn't see her in nearly as much stuff. Mary Stewart got a lot more screen queen, a lot type of more, stuff. yeah, a lot more time in the in more legitimate stuff. And Maroney. Turned up and scream between things in the eighties and the nineties. And I don't think Catherine was probably wasn't probably teenage when she did Night of the Comedy. No, no. You know? she she was probably in her twenties um, when she does this. Uh, Maroney comes off like she's of age. Yeah, 
Yeah. But Catherine seems like, yeah, you know, okay, I'll suspend disbelief and give you senior year yeah. graduating <laughs> senior. that year. Perhaps she was held back a year. Or two. Or two. Or maybe three. But uh, she was definitely of legal drinking age back then before they, they changed <laughs> laws, so 18. So, um, so yeah, the two sisters are main protagonists, uh, and they're just California Valley girls. Yeah, essentially. One works in a movie theater, one, uh, you know, is a cheerleader. And we start off thinking that they have no skills, which is kind of cool. This film sort of sets it up where they're just these superficial girls who apparently have no skills. That we're going to be disabused of that notion before the movie's over with. Yeah, little by little, more and more gets revealed. Because they, they start dropping some hints that, like, her dad's in the military and, you know, he's away. And, you know, the evil stepmom is there controlling them. So uh, this is all this because basically they start right out of the gate. You know, it's the night of the comet coming, and boom, there's no. It's arriving in minutes. Hour. Yeah, yeah, a couple hours maybe. You know, well, no, it's you know maybe within an hour or something yeah. like that. So they don't have this big long uh, buildup. So uh, you know, one is at home, one is at work, works at a movie theater. You know, um, you know things. Ha- Things happen, you know. Again, classic eighties movies. You know, she's like obsessed with video games. Like oh my god! Yeah, just, just to show us how eighties it is, there's a bunch of video games in the movie theater. She's playing Galaga. No, there was. What is she playing? There was Tempest. Tempest. There was Tempest, and then later on, there was two more games that weren't there previously. So a little film yeah. uh, mess up there. But there was Asteroids and Asteroid Deluxe on either side. All I might say, they're all they were all vector graphics games. Yeah. Yeah, all quarter driven, vector, <laughs> like God intended. Exactly, you know, because uh, you know, because it was the it was just lines, so it was all vector. So, um, so uh, you know, and there's a lot of there was a lot of classic movie posters in the theater. Well, that was one of the best things. Is we're sitting there and like, there's a okay, there's a movie poster for Escape from New York, Escape from New York, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, what was the one? Um, uh, you know, on the way out the door. There was Red Dust, the Western, yes, which is going to become important, and Death Race Two Thousand, which is also a, a shout out to other cast members. Yep. And then there was this one poster that uh, that Mish McIntyre, if you're watching this, she'll give me a hard time about this, but it was that it was a poster for that crazy film uh, made by the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo. Yes, uh, with Hervey her, her, Villages. Yeah, it. yeah, which is this crazy like. Uh, you know, cabaret sort of uh, filmed stage thing. It's very Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like it, it came out of the same kind of production, and it's all about going into the Hollow Earth. It's just it's a bizarre little uh, cult film. But yeah, those were all the films that were hanging up in the theater. At least all the ones we could identify. Well, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo started off in the, like the mid '70s as like basically performance art, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, which then became Oingo Boingo eventually. They were also on the oh, co- and became Danny Elfman. And became Danny Elfman. Well, he was yeah. He, he originally wasn't in the band. Uh, yeah, it's his, his brother. brother. It's his brother who did Mystic Knights. But Elfman's trajectory is because he, you know, he had contact with his brother. His brother was a musician. And um, they were also on the Gong Show too. Oh, I never saw the episode. And they and they won. <laughs> they got like 200 bucks. So, uh, <laughs> 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 Even in 1970, that is a, that is a kick in the balls. That is, yeah. <laughs> that is nothing. Oh, my God. They got 200 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, so they went anyway. So there's all these cool movie posters. So basically, you know, the plot starts. You know, she's like staying there because she's uh, got something going on with the projectionist, and he's a shady guy selling films and stuff like that. So she's in the film. Uh, projection booth, projection booth, which Thank is you. an old fireproof projection booth because of the film stock used to be flammable. So it's surrounded by iron with these iron shutters to make sure that if there was a fire in the booth, it could smother the fire. So it's all she's encased in steel and steel, steel, which becomes a plot point. Um, and then her sister just disappeared because they got into a fight. So fast forward, next day happens. You know, they're still, you know, they're still there. They. You know, they start to discover things. Uh, well, at least to me, uh, Catherine's character um, uh, discovers things have gone awry. Like the guy goes outside; he's looking for somebody. She goes outside, and they start dropping all these little. This is also when she goes outside and she sees the red mist poster, and she goes outside, um, and there's red dust and clothes everywhere. Yeah, just piles of clothes and red dust. And one other thing, I got to throw this out about Dealy Bobs, about the um, well, there's the Dealy Dealy Bobs. Yeah, there, well, there's the dealy bobs with these these stupid uh, comet things that the that they're selling to celebrate, which are these antennas with little balls on it, with you know like ta streamer on it, so that they're like you're wearing comets on your head to celebrate Comet Night. And sure enough, there are little things that <laughs> little things of those dealy bobs are, everywhere, just laying in piles of dust all over Los Angeles. But that boyfriend who goes outside to check, you know, says, goes outside and disappears. That actor is a guy named, uh, let's see here, uh, Michael Bowen. And I knew I recognized him when I'm watching the thing. I'd looked it up. Uh, any uh, fans of Breaking Bad out there, Michael Bowen, you know, 35 years later, is playing the character of Uncle Jack on Breaking Bad, the head neo-Nazi that steals all of Walter White's money, spoilers, and, you know, uh, 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 kidnaps Jesse and is like the sort of ultimate villain at the uh, the boss fight, I guess you call it, at the end of the series. But, yeah, that's Uncle Jack. He is still around. He was in things like, um, what's the Tarantino film? Uh, uh, Way of the Gun. Not The Way of the Gun. The one with The Bride. The one with uh, Uma Thurman murdering her. Kill Bill 1 and 2. Okay. Yeah, he was the horrible nurse who's, you know, selling time with the coma patients to dirt bags on the side and has the giant car that says pussy mobile on the side. Oh, yeah. Right. He specializes in playing dirt bags. And apparently that goes all the way back to 1984 because he was playing a dirt bag sort of in this movie too. Yeah. Oh, and leading up to the comment coming, you know, there was swirling clouds and lightning and all kinds of weird wind blowing and stuff like that. So you're like, Oh, something's happening. Cause comets make wind. They do. They do. They do. <laughs> so, uh, so she go, you know, she goes outside, uh, you know, sees all this stuff, gets attacked by some, looks like some kind of scabby, you know, mutant, some kind of mute scabby eyed, you know, uh, guy, cannibal looking guy who's eating somebody, you know, the boyfriend, but, uh, so, so, you know, so it's, it just builds up with that. You know, she you know she goes home, finds her sister. We get the Omega Man montage as she drives around Los Angeles. The empty city. On the empty city, like where they filmed it all at, like, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning in L.A., so it looked empty. And it's just nothing but piles of clothes blowing in the wind on the sides of the road. And there's still uh, red in the, in the air because yeah. there's a lot of wind blowing up dust. And they use, like you said, they use some kind of gel filter 
on it, but it looked it look, for cheap effects for a low budget film looked you know pretty decent. You know, for 1984 again, you got to put a lot of these things in the context of what the time the, period. The the idea that the air, that this filters on the movie, so every time they're outdoors, it's just a little bit reddish or a little bit orange, was kind of creepy because it means you're fucking inhaling all these <laughs> fucking powderized. The entire population of the Earth apparently has been reduced to what my wife calls Batman villain powder because in the Batman movie there's this gun that turned everybody into powder you know huh. the in the in the in the Adam West Batman movie oh okay Adam. there's I, this thing where there's I, a, I don't remember that there was yeah. a gun that turned people into this powder that looked like you know it was the stuff that would come out of the candy stick and you'd shake it out and you know eat it Oh, with pixie sticks yeah it looked like it looked like the stuff that came out of a pixie stick or uh, the dipping thing pixie sticks like the pixie and so the world yeah, has been you, reduced. You remember, those, remember those are like in the packets, and it would have like the multi flares. It was like dipping something, and they had like the the candy stick, and you. Yep. Well, this sugar, is like the this sugar. Is, this no is wonder like, why we all got diabetes. <laughs> you know? It's this is more like the pixie stick. The entire world population has been turned into orange pixie stick material, and now it's blowing around in the air so you can breathe your relatives and friends into your lungs. But yummy. But it, it's a good effect. So it looks good. So they're, you know, so they get back, finds the sister. She's all ready to go to cheerleader practice and can't get a hold of anybody. And then, you know, we have the whole scene of her trying to, you know, my reality or your reality, your reality, trying to get her on board that something's well, got to die. It's in the 80s, so it's like pull the phone off the wall with the giant cord on it, you know. Nobody reaches for their non-existent cell phone. It's just try and call someone. Go ahead. And when she was carrying on a boombox with her. Oh, my God. Were they, yeah, this is carrying on a boombox that is the size of a piece of Samsonite luggage. <laughs> that is the... <laughs> good, good times. I wish I wish I still had my old boombox. I, I had a small one that I used to carry around. We used to hang out in the mall, you know, listening to dead Kennedys and Ramones and annoying the straights. So... <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, there's some technological throwbacks in this film, that's for sure. Uh, but they hear the radio still playing. Yep. The radio. And so... They, they figure, let's go to the radio station. And uh, there they find out, of course, it's just the radio station, just automatic playing. So they find the radio station, but they also run into Chakotay. That's true. They run into Robert uh, Beltran? Yes. From um, well, Voyager. From Eating Raul and Voyager and other kinds of things like that. And he's... He's yet another survivor, and God, is he so fucking young. It's just unbelievable. I know. it's Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they run into him as another survivor. Um, and, you know, this uh, this film, when it came out, what I always remember about it is that Roger Ebert saw it when it came out, and Roger Ebert loved it because the world ended, and the people who survived are not – really qualified for this work. Yeah. You know, they're just... Which, 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 which is what's going to really happen. Yeah. yeah. It's just these schmoes, you know, who survived. And, um, uh, you know, there's nothing special, nothing necessarily special about them. What was special is that they survived and uh, through no fault or preparation of their own. Total luck. Total, total luck. Like with him, too. He was in the back of his truck. Now, during this time, you see a couple of... We saw a couple of flashes to some kind of nefarious secret government base listening to the radio station listening to the radio station they would do like these this shot of like a guard standing in like a glass tower and it'll be overlooking like this compound in a cave and all the roofs were like open so you could see the top and, of the cave yeah um that was a cool effect that was a like a, i think that was just a model 
with a perspective shot where they shot the model, the camera through the model down to the. Uh, well, but there was movement uh, down. Well, below those it. were those people were real. It would be the model around the outside of the camera, and you'd shoot through it. You'd cut out this area where you could see that those those oh, those yeah. walls, those, those office walls that they put up like on a warehouse floor. Yeah, and you could sort of look down into it and see the uh, the underground base. So. Nefarious underground base filled with jumpsuited people, gray jumpsuits, gray jumpsuits, and white uh, web belts. Yeah, yeah, white, like they were like some kind of honor MP MP guard or something. You know? <laughs> Did you say that you'd seen at least one person wearing that at a con? Once, <laughs> I seen a picture of somebody that because I yeah. always, because as we know, I don't care for dress up or cosplay. Ugh. I hate I, I hate that it's been uh, justified. I, I uh, understand you don't like that. I don't like steampunk. We all have our malfunctions. Oh, I don't like steampunk either. But uh, you're a man of wealth and taste. Yeah, well, well, like what is the, the Ken height or relay is? It's Ken. Ken's line was uh, uh, steampunk is what happens when goths discover the color brown. Yeah, but it's a whole thing now. But uh, what are you gonna do? But um, that obscure costume, making a costume that out of the way, you know. Um, was thinking. That, I'll give people credit for that. You know, the people who are like, "Look, I'm a sexy Spider-Man woman with big boobs." You know, it's like, okay, whatever. You just want to, you just want to show off your assets and have pe pe people take pictures. If of you. you show up, great. Like, that's your thing. Whatever. You, you know? show up as Mary Warnus as one of the guys from the you know, one of the scientists from the base. Thumbs up. Yeah, because they had it with gray the the, the patch because the symbol for the the base was like it looked like this like like a maze. Yeah, it was a maze inside a circle. And it was very distinctive. Yeah, and they put it on everything. It's on the helicopter. It's on the cars that show up later. It's on the. Well, we had to know that this belongs to the nefarious base. Yes. So, so any yes, they, that, that's how they stamp those guys out. But um, you know, we know that this is a nefarious base, and there's two t groups of people in the base. One of them is Mary Warnus, who was in Death Race 2000, playing mm -hmm. Calamity Jane, one of the racers, and uh, she was also in Eating Raul with Beltran, um, and Joffrey Lewis. Who is Juliet Lewis's dad? And Joffrey Lewis has been in everything, in like seven, High Plains Drifter, seventies, eighties, yeah, everything. You know, uh, he was on. He was one of Clint Eastwood's regular guys that he would hire for movies. Um, yeah, he was his brother in Every Which Way But Loose. He was the brother in Every Which Way But Loose. He's the yeah. he was the bad guy in High Plains Drifter. He's still working, you know, every once in a while. But he's he's a uh, oh yeah he's. He was a he was a total character actor, seventies and eighties. You've totally seen you've totally seen him yeah. a thousand movies. So, yeah. um, so you have these kind of two factions in there, and you know they they did a good job of not letting you know who's who. Yeah, who's got the right agenda? Who's got the wrong agenda? Yeah, they're very they, they did a good job. Great writing. They cut it well. They don't. It doesn't feel. There's one time you can hear them talk. You can't hear them talking by the helicopter. Where you suppose that's the moment where the real, you know, agenda would be revealed, but because the blades are going, you can't nail it. But when they're in the offices or in the in the labs talking, they did this great job of making you think that Joffrey Lewis wants to gather all the survivors. We've got to go get survivors, well, and maybe Mary Warnus has a different idea about what to do with the survivors. So, well, but you don't really know. They they definitely play them off each other very well. They kind of, you know. And they also kind of hide what their agendas are too, so you don't really know who's who. Uh, so they did a pretty good job with that. So um, they're in the radio station. They get a call, uh, like the girl gets a call from uh, the people at the base saying, "Hey, where are you at? We're gonna come find you." And then they're like, "Oh, okay." 
and uh, just you know we'll wait for you. But uh, Chakotay wants to go yeah, find well, his, find his family. Yep. Well, I keep calling him Chakotay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the heck was his character's name? Uh, it wasn't Chakotay. Nate, yeah. Matt, what the hell's his name? Oh, I don't know. I remember. Uh, Hector. Hector. Thank Hector, you. Hector. Because. Because for some reason, Catherine Mary Stewart kept saying his name in the most racist way possible. She kept on like Hector or whatever. Just so, I don't know why that kept happening. It was the 80s. I guess we were allowed to be more obviously racist than that. What, what more so than we can now? No, that's good, too. We we have had sort of a... An okay. We've had the okay. We've had, we've had the right okay. flag. It's okay. You can be a total asshole now. <laughs> um, but uh, at the same time, they didn't. He never just put up with it. He always just gave her some shit right back, yeah. and she'd sort of mouth off to him. Um, but uh, yeah, so he has to bail out for, and he says, "I'll be back in however many days it takes to get back from San Diego." So the girls just left cooling their heels uh, and decide, you know, to go to do what everyone does after the apocalypse: shopping, shopping. Well, but before that, you know, the sisters having some problems, and there's a, so a couple cool. You know, there's some cool, there's some interesting nightmare sequences for her, you know. Um, she does seem to have this rash, and she's thirsty all the time. I wonder what that could mean. Hmm. So, but before they go shopping, they uh, go to the, what they were talking, they go to oh. the National Guard Armory. Like, so, like uh, good girls. Like good girls that go to the National Guard Armory. Yeah, because well, their father was like a Green Beret, and he taught them this and that. And yeah, and you, you, you find out that the reason that she knows how to punch a guy using the, the bottom of the palm of her hand earlier is because Daddy thought that she, if he trained them hard enough, his girls would, would, would be able to be rangers. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's this thing where they have some competency. They can. Uh, they know how to use a gun. They, they know how to use weapons. Now, now, they go to the National Guard Armory. Okay, here, here's the thing that kills me. Now, mind you, back in the 80s, I loved that weapon. But they go to a National Guard Army, which you figure a National Guard Army will probably have standard-issue weapons, you know, M16s or even, even M1s, older weapons, military-issue-type weapons. They come back with a couple of MAC-10s. <laughs> yeah. Why did the National Guard Army only have MAC-10s? I, I don't know. Mind you, I liked it back then because, you know, I think my first, ex well, I want to say my first exposure to Mac-10 was Escape from New York with Snake Plissken, or it could have been, I probably would, I don't remember which came out first, um, High Risk. High Risk was a 70s movie, right? Uh, late 70s? It's, boy, it's mid to late. I, I the, If only the device could tell, tell us, us when. Uh, but There's, yeah, the first time I saw him was, oh, you know what else? The first time I, the first time I remember seeing the Mac-10 was there was a John Wayne movie. Uh, where he plays a detective, where he ends up using a Mac-10, if you can believe that nonsense. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, High Risk was like, I think it's the 80s. Okay. Because well, I remember seeing it on HBO. All right, so maybe maybe I, maybe I saw it with Snake Plissken first. This is a scene where, like, the guy's in, like, an old DC-10, and they're trying to get away. The, the pilot opens the window, and he, like, he's holding a Mac-10 out the freaking window, you know? So, 1981. Oh, so I did. So that probably uh, – well, that came around – that's the same time that uh, – Almost identical to Snake Plissken. Snake Plissken. So anyway, so love the Mac-10. You know, I even saw – like, there's a cover – Exact same year. Exact same. There's a cover I have of uh, – There will be a pause for technical difficulties. There's a pause. There's a pause because Jared's looking for something. Oh, 
That is a hell of a binder you've got there. Well, my American American Survival Guides from the eighties. I told you I was into. Have you not showed this to the to the to the audience yet? This is kind of awesome. What? The American Survivor or Survival Guide? I have binders full of American Survival Guide stuff from like the early to mid '80s. Well, actually, into the late '80s. But uh, one of the covers has the Mac-10 in it. No, there's a there's an issue of Special Weapons. All right, go up here. Yeah, this shows even more on. Unorthodox than we normally are, folks. But uh, there's movement, there's action, there's props. There's the cover of uh, Fall of 1984. Oh Special weapons. There's a dude with two Mac 10s with suppressors on the front. All that did was fuel my love of the Mac 10 back then. You he's know? firing one in each hand like he's Clint Eastwood and where Eagles there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and also this binder is lots of uh, old issues of American Survival. That is some gun porn. Yeah, that is some gun porn. I don't know why I put them in binders because I had all these empty binders, and I'm like, well, let me just put them in binders instead of uh, uh, magazine boxes. So anyway, so no, I, I prefer the binders. That's cooler. I'm happier. <laughs> so they go get the Mac Tens, which in 19 the early 80s was definitely a gun that us nerds liked. We we liked we liked the Mac Ten again. It was good for it was good for Snake Plissken. If it's good enough for Snake Plissken, damn, it's good enough for me. Yeah. Because uh, even to where the point of, I used to play, again, uh, Fantasy Games Unlimited, Merc. Yeah. Role-playing game. My characters always had Mac-10s. <laughs> you could tell that the guys who wrote the, the rules for uh, Twilight 2000 did not care for the Mac-10 as much as Snake Plissken. Because if you took that weapon, it's going to be really cool, I'm having a Mac-10. You were effectively useless. You were, you could not affect the outcome of any gamed firefight in the in the game. Well, it's it's a close combat thing anyway. Yeah. But but yeah, I have my friend used to draw pictures. You know, the guy I used to play with, and he had pictures of um my characters with like the Mac Ten. You know, you know the character's name because I was so creative with my names back then. It was Raymond Wild Wallace. Was Wild it? Raymond Wallace? All right. Raymond. Well, because Ray's my middle name, so. Again, I'm not. I was never really good at names in role playing games. So, I was Raymond Wild Wallace, and you know, it was adventures in you know, communist Burma, and it's like you know, with his Mac Ten in the can swamps. I, you know, can I just point out when it comes to names? I don't. That's not that bad a name. I'm just remembering when we were playing Mask and Arlothotep, and after we're on like ninth or tenth character, we gave up on names because it just kept killing us. So there were names like Bumfuck McJesus. <laughs> You know, we just surrendered completely as far as the idea of, oh, yeah, this character's going to last 15 minutes. Why don't I just name him Replacement Meat? What's your character's name? Character number nine. <laughs> We're down to numbers. Welcome to the village. <laughs> so, anyways, the so girls get MAC-10s. The girls get MAC-10s. They're firing them. And if you said you read that apparently part of that scene was improv Yeah, there's a thing, on, according to IMDb's trivia section, uh, they're saying that the line that comes out, the whole the, sort of the classic line of the scene, came out because the director told the the, the actresses, "We don't have a lot of money for reshoots, um, so the trick is, if anything goes wrong, stay in character until I actually say cut. Do not stop acting, because we don't know I, I, whatever. If there's a technical malfunction, we'll work around it. You know, just keep acting, right?" So she's firing this gun, you know. They're they're like firing at like this old Cadillac. They're like that's like 
way too far away that I don't even think they really would even be able to hit it at that range. Because <laughs> um, they didn't even have a suppressor on it, which at least gave it a little bit of barrel to keep kind of keep it down because there's such a high cycle rate. But, oh, you uh, can, and you can see it's all <laughs> that barrel <laughs> straight up in the air. Um, so she keeps on having gun jams with it, which were not uncommon for a gun that had like a thousand plus cycle or 12 plus cycle rate plus she's firing it with blanks yeah which is always going to have you know less kicking so she's having to manually clear that jam towards the end of the magazine and then finally she's done with it and then she gives it back to her sister and, and says the classic line one of two classic lines in this movie is daddy would have gotten us uzis <laughs> and i'm that was uh that was uh kelly maroney from uh the um plays the younger sister and I gotta tell you, yeah, everybody remembered that. That was one of those things that everyone was like, "Daddy would have gotten Susie." It's up there with "It's gone, McCready." Yeah, Daddy would have gotten Susie's. So you have this whole scene just to show them firing weapons. So they get to the mall. There's a whole '80s montage of them shopping and playing music and dancing. Oh, that around. was the other hilarious thing is there's music in the mall. Oh, we'll get to that. All right. So, but they're uh, they're dancing around, playing music. Uh, while this is going on, we see stuff from the Shadow Organization. You know, they're going to go out there and get them and send out helicopters. Hector is uh, trying to gather up what he's trying to gather up in San Diego. He has Pictures, his, family heirlooms, things so, like that. So he has his shit going on, has his encounters. Um, so they're flying out there, the helicopters, in the meantime. So they get to the, the mall, and they're shopping. It was more of the department store. So they're shopping, wearing clothes. Good point. Um, that we have just, they're in the department store. They, I don't know. They could have went to the whole mall, but... Um, so, so, but then you go back to, you start seeing, oh, look, there's like um, security cameras and there's somebody watching, you know, on the security cameras, you know, earrings and the sunglasses, very kind of. Oh, they're all dressed up like they're supposed to be punk rock or something. Like punk rocker types, you know, or new what wave. Hollywood, yeah, what Hollywood thinks punk rock looks like. Exactly. What they say is punk rock. So yeah. they're all like these punk rock dudes, you know, and then they start speaking to them in the, through the PA system and, you know. Then all kinds of hilarity ensues, like gunfights, and you know they're falling around trying to get get a hold of them. And during this whole time, during the montage, during the fight, you know you hear there's a soundtrack going on, like a lot of times there are in movies. We get to the conclusion of what's going on, and then, then like the one bad guy's like, Will you shut that off, and like shoots the radio they had playing with the shotgun. So the music wasn't coming from the movie background; it was actually they're actually playing it. In the department store, it was actually part of the scene, which I which I really like because there's this music to, 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 that was actually there to build tension. But when they want to get to this really intense part, they want it quiet, and they shut off the music by shooting the boombox, which I thought completely worked as a as a transition. Because I had forgotten, I had forgotten, and I'm like, oh, they actually was playing on the radio. I was like, that's very clever, you know. Which introduces us to our other favorite character, Willie. Willie. Willie, who's the leader of us, this gang of Stock okay. punk rock stock boys who now own the whole department store. Moving yeah. up in the world, they will the, the actor who does Willie fucking chews up the furniture, chews up the walls. He, you know, he, he, he overacts to the, to the nines, but it is all exactly right. He is so good. Um, and sadly, does not do a lot of their stuff. His, his, you know, you look at his. A uh, list of credits on IMDb, did some monster movies and stuff, but that performance playing Willie is absolutely terrifying. And you're, it's kind of funny at first, and then it gets 
utterly fucked up. Where it's really actually oh. scary. And he's actually run, he runs around in a robe. He's like in a, he has like a bathrobe over everything. Yeah, and like his Hugh And it says Willie. Yeah. So um, I don't know where he got that from. I didn't know they had that in the store. Right off the rack. Right off the rack. Willie. So uh, so they you know they capture them. There's all kinds of dialogue, and there's this whole dialogue that goes on that I used to have memorized down pat. Willie's rant. He has his rant. Uh, he does this monologue that's so good. Back and back then, I had that memorized, and I could drop it completely accurate um, to the to the letter. Yeah, but not anymore. But um, as far as great villain speeches goes, this is right up there with Lord Humongous suggesting that you just walk away. I mean, it was <laughs> the writing on that was really good. We're not gonna we're not gonna give you the speech. We want to say that because that that that's one that needs to be saved, but. Yeah. It's a, it's a good speech. That's the second. It's it's not a line. It's like a bunch of lines. But the two lines in the movie are "Daddy would have gotten his Uzis," which is pretty. But this this whole dialogue, brilliant. It's, However, the what's the last line before we cut? Let's play a game, girls. A game called Scary Noises. They need to know what's scary. We're not going to say what the scary noises are, but oh my god, it's a scary noise. They really they deliver on that. What's scary noises? Yeah. But and he has a continuing monologue with the with the whole thing, so it's pretty good. So something's you know shit's going on. Definitely see it just for Willie. Just fast forward to Willie, and you'll be you'll you'll get your money's worth. You know uh, the organization. Uh, you know uh, oh backtrack a little bit. You see a couple point. You see a couple points in the uh, with the organization that they have. You know they're picking up other survivors. Like they they have a children. Couple, they have some children come back. There's other people there uh, already. So they're gathering up survivors. So they come to try to see, they, you know, they, you know, they rescue the girls and uh, they take the older sister, um, whatever her name was, Regina, Regina, back to the place because uh, they know that Hector's coming back and they want every survivor. And they're a little concerned about Samantha's itchy rash and the fact that she's thirsty all the time. So, you know, they leave her behind and, you know, a couple, you know, people stay behind to like stay with her and wait for Hector. So uh, some stuff happens um, with them to where the point is uh, Hector comes back and, you know, finds uh, the, the sister. Um, the sister Samantha. Samantha. I just don't, we just watched this movie and I don't remember their names. Um, <laughs> don't remember. So they are, uh, you know, so they, you know, uh, apparently, one of the other characters gives a big reveal of what's going on in the or in the, the nefarious place. Yeah. So Hector and Samantha. It's more nefarious than I think I would have imagined. Yes. As far as how bad is it at nefarious underground base? It's super fucking nefarious. Yeah, it's they're. Actually, uh, it's pretty dirty. Yeah. So it's really dirty. And what I love about it, it's not only dirty, it's kind of useless. And they're very, yeah. And they're very casual. Some of the people are very casual about. It. They're like, okay, this is what we got to do. Yeah. So, uh, so Hector and Samantha go to see about saving the sister because she's back there. You know, she's getting a lot of questions. She's finding out more and more about uh, what's going on, and she will have nothing to do with it. So, yeah. uh, she fights back. Hector, they get there. Um, they break. You know, they break in. They rescue. You know, they rescue her. Rescue uh, some of the other people. Yeah. Um, I guess for some of the details of what's going on, but just just an overview. But you know they have some like some scenes. There's a couple couple cool little things in there. You know like what they do in the like gunfight. There's there's some there's some cool 
sort of uh, fight shootout stuff, escape from the base thing. Um, there's a great moment where people go to see Santa. Yes. There's a lovely part where people go to see Santa. Santa. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um, and again, this was you know the the low budget shows, but at the same time, they did some great things to like really minimize the impact of the budget. One of my favorites is when they're leaving the base earlier and it's all dark and it's all you know dark lighting it's underground they're in elevators and stuff there's a moment where joffrey lewis and mary warnoff exit the elevator step out into this sort of um uh hangar that's you know uh that the elevator has emerged into and then open this big door and then it goes from being dark 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 small to this open the the door and giant lights sunlight helicopter <clears throat> lots of loud noise no they do these things that really give you a feeling that you're emerging from this tight, claustrophobic underground place. That's just a matter of you know, just a matter of perspective and sets. And they just, you know, these guys really worked with their zero budget. And again, that's something that always looks good is when you see people squeezing that last dime to do good effects, practical effects, in-camera effects. Um, that always looks extremely good. I mean, you know. Uh, everybody got shot. Everybody gets shot. Gets shot with a squib. You know, yeah. there's no CGI blood in this. Well, um, it didn't really, it didn't exist back then. Yeah, but uh, yeah. so there's, there's no other. Yeah, they did a really good job with the. Uh, you know, again, I love a squib effect. I, I'm sort of sad to see them go, as an effect. I, even though, yes, I know they're dangerous and whatever, but they always looked. They but, always but, looked but they so look. Good. But they look good. You know, so. Um, yeah, so they do, you know, a lot with, like you said, with the with the, the effects and the contrasts. Excuse There's me. some good the good mutant effects, good mutant makeup, good mutant effects. You know, um, you know, you find out about, you know, what they're, you know, you'll find out like what the organization is, what they're doing there, you know, what what may what may have uh, gone wrong. Yeah. Yes. You know, or, or like why it went wrong. So. Um, you know, they, you know, give, you know, some, some of the, like one of their, their excuse for why things went south is kind of, it's kind of lame, you know, it doesn't quite work. Does it, it doesn't go along with the, with the, not mythology, but the, um, they set up like why people get affected by the comet and why people don't. don't. And this doesn't and it, quite track as well as I'd like it to, but that's okay. You blow past it because you're having fun. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense because, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's like... That, it was, it they can reveal that steel is the protective thing. Yeah, we talked about that. And then... Some, they, they explain something else about what happened, which doesn't go along. It's like, well, if you had... It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, again, we glaze like, okay, whatever. We're having you a good time. right past it. It's cool. Yeah. So... Uh, so, you know, so, you know, they have their big scene, they get back to the scene, you know, they got to worry about, you know, rebuilding civilization, you know, the rains, you know, come wash the stuff away. Yeah, once the rain hits, the, the they remove the filter as it's yeah, washed right. all the people out of the atmosphere and down the drains, <laughs> which I know I was a little uncomfortable by an image of all these people being washed into the sewer. Now, here's the, uh, me and Scott talked about that when we were watching the movie. Here's my one big thing, okay. So, it seems like a vast majority of the people did not survive. You had some people that were, some that were unaffected, but then you had some that were kind of exposed, 
but will eventually die because that's where you get the mutants from, and then people just totally just dust. So, uh, you know, there's probably you know they, they probably knew it was coming. You probably had things like Cheyenne Mountain, people some more some people say, but overall, it seems like the vast majority of people did not survive. Now, this is this is the time when you're glad that you were deployed at sea on a submarine. Yeah, so there are people probably people survived. Now, this apparently is what wiped out the dinosaurs because okay, well, they didn't know to hide in steel caves, so. Yeah. Um, and it probably funny how the dinosaurs left bones behind. Yeah. So um, that made no sense. But uh, well, maybe dinosaur bones are made of different. Oh, the stuff. dinosaur bones are from earlier dinosaurs who died normally. But when the comet came by, it turned everybody into Batman powder. Yeah. So everything got turned into Batman powder. Pixie stick powder. Yeah, everybody got turned into pixie sticks. But you know that means everything that's on the surface, like every mammal and bee and this and that. So. Oh, yeah, when they show the empty dog collar, we're like, oh, it got animals? Does that mean it wiped out cockroaches and bees and... So so if, it, so if this happened 65 million years ago, how did we? How did the world exist then? Because... Now, I, you don't want to examine our character's future too closely if there's no bees to pollinate plants. Oh, yeah, because it's like, you know, I don't know how, it's, how we got back after 65 million years. You know, did... Things in the water survive, you know, re-evolve from the water up. I don't know. Did mammals survive? Well, no, mammals got killed. So, again, we didn't think too scientifically. Um, like, oh yeah, it killed this, but then it would have killed everything. So we wouldn't have got past that. We, there would be no you modern can't world. Ask for too much from a film whose original working title was what? Uh, Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies or Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies, or something like that. So, yeah, so we were thinking too much of, like, oh, if it killed everything, how did we get past the 65 million year mark? We should really just relax for mysteries. Yeah. But, uh, and then, so, but now it's like, okay, great. So it killed everything. So all the cows, all the wild animals are dead. Um, your um, canned food's only going to work so long. So they didn't address the, the, the they addressed all the fun parts of, of, of the movie, you know? Yeah. Like the survival of this net, but it's like, well, how are they gonna survive long term if it killed bees for pollination, feed animals, wild animals, fish, maybe? You know, yeah. so um, what are they gonna survive on? The canned foods are they gonna last so long? It's it's like it's not, you know not, not because they're gonna run out of canned foods because the population is so small, but because the canned foods are just gonna turn on you eventually. Or, or, or maybe not of the comet, or maybe not of the comet. Is the beginning of the road. <laughs> yeah, it's all funny when it first happens. Next but, thing, next thing you know. Well, the road. There's no food. Nothing grows. Uh, there's no animals, and everybody's eating each other. Yeah. Maybe because the comet killed everything. I see a connection here. I'm the, not I'm, the comet in the road. I think the night of the comet is the prequel to the road. <laughs> Yeah, I can totally see that. I yeah, know. well, I mean, I mean, seriously, makes perfect sense to me. Does it? No, but it's still well, hilarious. How, well, how so? In you know, <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. Um, you've got a point that the road was pretty desolate as far as any kind of wild. No animals. I didn't even see nothing. Bugs. No didn't crops. Everything is gone. Yeah. You know? Um, maybe, maybe. I'm, just, I'm not saying it was, but. It's fun. It's fun to pretend, but uh, and yet he hates cosplay. <laughs> I'm not dressing up like 
not in the comment, but you know what I'm saying? But Oh, I don't know. I'll get you a white belt and a gray jumpsuit. I think you'll go. Well, maybe that's something different. But um, I think you'll go. Well, um, what do you mean, man? I like, but I like to, what, because I like to pretend? You're like, hey. No, I didn't I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons for all those years and not learn something a little something about courage, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying you could rock a white belt. That's all I'm saying. These be those guys from the base or Herb Tarlick. Well, it would be a big white belt. But it'd be uh, a big white belt. But uh so anyway, so the road. So anyway, so uh yeah, there's some there's some long term questions of survival, but you know what? It's not that type of movie. We weren't, we weren't really, we weren't really supposed to think about that, but we always go down that road. So unfortunately, yeah. that's what we do. But um, cheesy eighties movie, uh, apocalyptic, classic lines. You know, pretty. It's got some pretty good dialogue, some pretty good writing. Um, you know, for the movie, they did well with their budget. Um, the cast really does okay. The cast turns in good performances all the way around. Uh, it's one of the best things I've ever seen Mary Warnoff in, because um, she was playing a very, very straight role in a in a comedy, and she it she didn't seem out of place at all. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Bel and one of the things I remember reading from the IMDb stuff was that uh, Beltran had helped get her this job because the two of them were eating Raul together. And that he helped land her this gig, and she's one of the best things at it. Yeah, she really is. That's a good. Job. There are some interesting characters, you know. I, she really, she really made a really interesting character and kept you guessing right to the end. You know of what her, you know what where 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 were her loyalties? Yeah. Where did she side with? Yeah. Um, and of course, Willie. 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 Uh, let me see if I can find that guy's name. The, the actor's name was Ivan. E. Roth, and he's been in a few horror movies since then. But oh, good job, Ivan. Good, uh, thank you, thank you for giving us Willie. Yes, free Willie. But um, <laughs> so I said, if you haven't seen this movie, I mean, you could. It's probably on Netflix. Uh, I don't know, probably well because Netflix rotates so much. I think it does. I know it's been on Netflix because I, I had it in my favorites, but I believe it's it, it rolled out of my. Uh, favorites i got that on amazon i got that probably on amazon like years ago let me see i know it's on um hold on i'm gonna look here night of the comment it's i know i know there's a blu-ray version of it out now i'm usually all about getting blu-rays but some things it's like you know what i just really don't need a blu-ray of this it's just not going to make any difference um but they do have well you know, you can't get the. I don't think you get the. Um, the I don't even think you get the DVD anymore. So, but there's like a. I think who put it out? Um, probably Scream Factory or somebody like that. You know, who does a lot of these old movies and they, you know, older horror movies and they put them out uh, in Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, the the Blu-ray is like twenty bucks. You know, um, the DVD is totally out of print. So, hey, they got. The exact DVD that I got on here, they, somebody's trying to sell for thirty-eight bucks on uh, Amazon. So, uh, Blu-ray, it is on Amazon Video. You could probably rent it pretty cheap or buy it pretty cheap. Um, but see if it's on Netflix or something like that. It's probably on YouTube. Um, it's worth watching. I said if you're a fan, if you're a fan of the Apocalypse, says you like the '80s, you like this kind of cheesy kind of movies, you know, it wasn't too bad, but... Um, you can see it and they see it's influenced, it, the way it was influenced by things like Night of the Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, it's it, There's some influence from a boy and his dog, sort of, you know, with the underground... Yeah, light. yeah. Um, 
uh, it, it, Omega Man. It's got a lot of influence from Omega Man. Um, you know, all those things are are, are, are factors into it, and uh, it's um, it's just a uh, it's just a good solid. B movie. It's a. It's like a. It's like what Joe Bob Briggs used to call a perfect drive-in movie. Yep. The the only thing that doesn't make it a perfect drive-in movie is that there are no naked boobies. Which, if you were Joe Bob Briggs, you would include that in any formula for a perfect drive-in movie. It's like what PG. Um, maybe there's some language. It is. They rate PG thirteen. I don't know if they did. That's that. probably because of language. Yeah. Did they do? Did they do PG thirteen in eighty four? No, this is a read. No, yeah, probably because it's you know it was reissued later. So they don't it, get PG thirteen until Temple of Doom. Yeah, so it's PG. It's a PG movie. So it was not. It was not an R. But um, but it's 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 a good film. It's an hour and a half worth your time. So there you go. There you go. Run out mutants. Get out there, you teenage mutant commie commie comet mutants. Comet mutants. Comet, comet mutants. comet mutants. That's a whole other movie. You know, and, you know, uh, so since this movie, since we reviewed this, we should probably give a full. Well, I know we talked about it before, because in the same vein and the same era was another guilty pleasure. We should we should do a full review of this movie. Did we ever do a full review of um, Defcon Four? I think we did. I I I think we did because we went on about the guy in the kilt. Oh yeah. You know. Well, I think we're talking about like. Uh, movies, favorite movies, and we probably talked about it too much. But to give it a, uh, we probably did too much. I'll have to look back in the archives because we didn't do a full review. We should do a full review of that movie because that's yeah. get, that's from that whole that era. Yeah, class. Yeah, we might have we might have talked about that on one of those like top five movies or something like that. You know, classic movie, Defcon Four. But yeah. um, all right, so uh, next show we'll be back to normal. We'll be in different locations. Uh, what we're gonna try to do is I'm almost done with um, Shift. Are you almost done with Shift? Yes. We're going to do Shift. Shift was the sequel to Wool, uh, uh, which we did a while back. So uh, Shift, uh, I'm uh, two-thirds of the way through it. Uh, it answers some of the questions that I was questioning in the first book because I thought, like, that's ridiculous. And then they talk about, like, oh, okay, it makes a little more sense now. But um, Shift, uh, pretty good. Pretty good so far. Yes. Uh, but, uh, it definitely turned the bleak meter up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to eleven, so it still got it. Still has this very nasty nihilistic uh, apocalypse. And so they they talk about you know why it happened, what's happening, um, and they kind of I think it kind of ends. I think it's going to end where the first book ended. So it's going to kind of bring catch us up. catch up to that point, and then the last book, which is was well, Wool Shift and. I don't remember. I don't remember the name of it, but we'll read that too and review that. But Shift is pretty good. We're going to do that. This is the first time I've seen a book or a series of books that talked about essentially a managed apocalypse. Yes, they get more into that. Uh, so uh, it's good. So we're going to that'll be our next one. So we'll probably I'm going to try to see if we can knock it out in the next week or so. So then the next show we're going to talk about Shift. Uh, I want to read Benjamin's uh, Benjamin Wallace who we had in the show last show. Um, I picked up his second book. Good. Uh, right. I, I want to read that because again, they're fun books, folks. You know the Benjamin Wallace's books definitely, definitely they're they're not that expensive. They're they're definitely worth your time. It's again they were fun because it's you know takes a you know tongue in cheek look at all the tropes. You know so and they're quick and easy to digest. Yeah. So I'm gonna after I finish that I want to bang out because uh, I'll actually because I'm doing audio for Shift. Benjamin's I got the actual book book so I'll read through that. Um, I want to cover that. 
And then, you know, so we'll, we'll see what else we could do. Maybe I'll read that, uh, you know, um, what was it, By the Waters? Why, I'll why ask Bosch. that one. No, why, why Bosch? Oh, Guns Along the Wabash. Wabash. I want to read that, see, maybe we'll talk about that. Yeah, we really, we really should do a reread the last Babylon and do that one. Cover that. Have book. we done our last Babylon? We sure we talked about it. I don't know if we went into detail on it. No. It um yeah, it's a good one. It's just uh it, it's sort of uh inside and, and the weird thing is we're right in the sitting here right now, we're right in the middle of where that book was set. Um supposedly the town that is uh, Fort what? What was it called? Fort something or other? Fort mm. I'll never remember that, but the town that the story is set in here in Central Florida is a, is a stand-in for Mount Dora, which is not just that far from here. Thirty miles away, it's really close. Yeah, because I'm I'm Central Florida on the coast. Yeah, you know I'm I'm near Daytona, so we're kind of totally near where all that stuff happened. So well, the next time I, I I might be back down here in a couple of months, and uh, I would be uh, amused to try and do some uh, if we went around and field trip, did a road trip to hit some of the places mentioned. On the, in the last Babylon, on the road, on the road with podcaster at Ground Zero road trip. Yeah, so maybe we'll check we'll check that out. So, uh, so we got a couple of things lined up. You know, we're gonna maybe have to circle back to uh, maybe some other movies. Uh, so I think we covered you know a lot of the broad. We did a lot of the broad topics. You know, I don't really think there's. I mean, you know, we did like you know types of apocalypses. You know, food, medicine. Weapons, transportation. We did a lot of the early on. We did a lot of the broad topics, and I don't really. I kind of ran out of ideas for broad topics. Well, we just have to keep digging into the. Uh, we'll just have to start digging into some more uh, of the individual literature and the individual, uh, you know, genres and, and movies. I think that's pretty much where, where, we're, where we're going right now. Is is dig into uh, both stuff that's a little heart older because that was our easy thing, but we're gonna have to start reading some of the new stuff just so we can. See where the genre is heading, and there's a yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there now. Like well, that's why I said, you know, the Wool series, the Silo series, is fairly recent. You know, within the last few years, so it's a little and pretty innovative. Um, it's not like anything else. It's not your standard, uh, you know, John Thomas Rourke and his twin Deutonics forty five set out to stop commies yeah. in the radioactive wasteland. Oh, I'd love to like totally talk about that series too, but I have to go back and read all that stuff. <laughs> well, you know, the books were only like that thick, you know, yeah. but. Um, uh, but yeah, well, and we'll come back. We'll come back to games. To uh, like, I'd like to you know do some more uh, talk about this a different game uh, RPGs, computer games, uh, paper pencil. You know, I said after the second episode, whenever we did Gam World, I said I want to circle back to Gam World. I want to circle back to Gam World. I haven't done that yet, but I want to circle back to it and just to talk about because we only talked about you know even the guy slammed you know the guy slammed us for uh, you know uh, being a. Uh, divisive and you know complaining uh, about additions addition yeah. wars but we, we really we kind of talked about it in a broad sense and i'd like to maybe dig deeper into i'm i'm all in favor of a dramatic reading uh from the uh, bestiary in gamma world for just some of the ludicrous goddamn oh, yeah. monsters what was there was something where it was like it's like some animal that they they have in their bestiary some radioactive mutant and it does all kinds of terrible horrible Things that it, you know, it's got all these powers. But I remember down deep in the description, it says it eats clothing. 
Do you remember that? Oh, that was the, uh, I think it was like the Yixel or something like that. Yeah. It, was like, it was like Y-E-X-L or it was like Yixel or something like that. And it's like, that. like this dragon. I, was, I, always thought, I always thought it was Jewish. So, you know. <laughs> the Yixel. The Yixel. Huh? And, uh, and yeah, but at some point it ate clothing. I'm like, yeah, no. what random meter did you, did you generate that idea from? Was there a big, did they just spin a dial or something? And it eats clothing. You know? I don't know. It's it's definitely like people say it's Wahoo over the top and blah blah blah. But it's uh, got some. But it's good, you know. So yeah, maybe you know, I want to circle back and maybe talk about like maybe one specific edition or maybe an adventure. I like because I, I, I want to talk about it some more because there's so much cool stuff there. Well, except for that seventh edition, which the guy the guy said I never played, so I can't make an opinion about it. But I read the fucking rules, asshole. If you're listening to this show and it looked stupid, but um, wasn't what we were looking for. Wasn't what we were looking for. You know what? Because I was talking with Jim Wamplier, that's on his Facebook page, and he's a guy who works for, uh, uh, he does uh, guys who do Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, Goodman Games. Uh, he's also doing his Mutant Crawl Classics uh, game, which is a throwback to um, Gamma World. And we were talking about uh, the 7th edition a little bit, you know, and he's like, yeah, it's definitely not a campaign game. And I agree with him. It's not a campaign. The game would have been served better if, A, it was just a, like a board game or a miniatures game. It's, I mean, they gave all this background to try to make it an RPG, but it, but it's like all of 7th edition, which was, was like, oh, let's go on an adventure. Well, here's your map to put your miniatures on. And then nothing really happens in between unless you make it happen, but the game is focused on a map and miniatures yeah. and having your encounters. That, like anytime I'd see published adventures, here's the map, here's the map, here's the map. So I'm like, well, they should have just made it like a tabletops miniatures game because that's what kind of seventh edition was going for. Because yeah. they're trying to catch the World of Warcraft. So this Gamma World game, they could have just made it like a board game or a tabletop adventure. Look, randomly generate your your heroes, and here's a couple maps. Yeah, here's your cards for your mutant powers, and random, just do it, and it's one shot. Make it like a board game, and to that effect, it didn't need to be called Gamma World. It has nothing to do with Gamma World. They could have, they just could have called it, you know. They still call it. The, I mean, I like the idea of cashing it on the Gamma World board game. But as an RPG, no, yeah. If they would have taken, you know, if they would have taken that approach using that name, it could have worked. But not as an RPG. That I've had time to think about it. But uh, and like people say, it's like, well, how can you? You've never played it. How can you judge it? It's like you can read the rules. You can read the rules, and you, and you could talk to people who played it and gather their information. It's like, do you not get a pe- read 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 uh, read reviews and commentary for movies and make judgments about whether you want to see it or not? Jared, how do you know that that orange uh, glowing heating element in the oven is hot? Don't you have to touch it before you know it's hot? Um, I guess stupid people do. Yeah. But anyway. Or you can take someone's word for it, or you can do your, your, your own research and figure out, yeah, I don't want to leave my fingerprints behind on the heating element, so I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. So I'm I not going to touch Gamma World 7th Edition. Hey. So anyway, all right. Enough of this end of uh, show tangent. But yeah. so rarely do we get to sit around and do it together. So, um, and then next time he comes, you know, we do a, we'll do a little road tour, and you know, maybe I'll, that would be cool if we could like take some shots of like where this. The problem is, was it's nineteen fifty seven versus two thousand and seventeen? That's a lot of time. Yeah. Between between those two, what what was Florida in twenty? 57 versus what was Florida. Shoot. It was a lot more sparse back then, too. I'm going to bet that, uh, holy crap, if it's 57, what's going on? Is there, e- there, oh, my God, there's not even, well, I guess there's a Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. There's Cape Canaveral, but there's not, you know, the, it, it's. Uh, this this town existed, I believe. It's not even Gemini. But it was, it's, it's not even Mercury program yet. 
Holy cow. All right. Except it was called Smyrna. It wasn't New Smyrna Beach yet. Then no. I think Katona's there. But St. Augustine was there. Yeah. Because you had the college, you had Flagler. He built the tracks. Orlando and, is mentioned in the, in the story. In Orlando. But instead of <laughs> Orlando Municipal Airport, it's, it's McCoy Sack Base. Yeah. There's a sack base instead of an airport, you know. I was, I was, I'm going to have to remember the first times you'd go fly out of Orlando, you were in this very strange airport that was leftover Air Force surplus is what it was. It was just a surplus sack base that they had put in a few passenger amenities. That's it. Very weird. Different times. So anyway, so yeah, so we definitely got some ideas, uh, folks, you know, you know, so we'll, you know, try to get, you know, try to keep the dry spells, uh, a lot short, short, a lot shorter than we have been. But like, you know, we said, you know, Scott's had a lot going on. I had a lot going on. You know, I moved, bought a house, all kinds of crap. So, all right, but we're, we're back and uh, we're going to shut off now because we've, now we're just flapping our lips. We're just flapping our lips, but you know, you love listening to us flap our lips because I can see three people are watching live oh right now. Oh my God, three people? Well, we had five at one point. Oh. Then we started flapping our lips. Yeah. So we probably had to go to the toilet, but uh, <laughs> so anyway, folks, so um, that's it. So, uh, Night of the Comet, go see it. Worth your time. Pretty good movie. Uh, we're going to come back uh, probably in a week or two. Uh, Bring you some more apocalypse. More some apocalypse. Literary apocalypse. Literary apocalypse with uh, Shift. And then we'll see what happens after that. So um, keep an eye on the blog. I'm trying to post more stuff that I, that I see interesting come up. And definitely going to keep people apprised of the Wasteland Warfare for sure as we get more information about that. Um, and that's it. That's all we got today. All right. So, again, I am Jared. He is Scott. Thank you for joining us. We will see you in the wastelands.